Good morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Jason. I really want to echo what he mentioned on the program uh, because for the past few years, I've been working with the young adults. So many times uh, from the campus, they would be handed over to me. And oftentimes, these fresh graduates, by the time they start to think about what they want to do in life, uh, they start looking for a job, they realize they have wasted the past three, four years of their uni lives. So I really support what Jason is doing, and I want you to really consider and think about it if this is something good for your teens, okay? Uh, today we are at the last episode of our series, Set Apart. Uh, it's really a series to bring up this concept of holiness. Now, I know that this series has been a little bit more difficult to follow than usual, yes. Uh, perhaps it's the so many things going on start of the year. There's convergence, there's a China team coming, and so on and so forth. Maybe it's the nature of the series, I don't know. Uh, but today, I thought to really give us a recap and then build from there if that's okay, right? So hope you follow along with me. Uh, we started off this series very simple. We wanted to establish what is holiness. And we said that our God is this holy God. See, holiness is not just some moral behavior or, you know, some practice. It just means that God is this unique, separate God that is like no other. And He is full of absolute goodness. And we, humanity, His creation was supposed to be reflectors of that goodness. Today, if I take a picture of myself, the picture is not me. The picture can't do the things that I do, right? But it's also me. It reflects some part of me. And that was kind of our role, to reflect this goodness of God. Now, you know the story, we chose not to trust in God's goodness, but humanity says, I want to define good for myself. And this is what happened. Holiness was lost. I, I love what Pastor Agape shared. Uh, these were the few things she put down in the message. So many things were lost. Our connection with God was lost. We lost our right standing with God, lost our purpose, lost our provision, lost our confidence, lost our connection with others. And the last one, I want you to take note, we lost our awareness of how terrible sin is and we now attempt to justify our sin. So that's where they were at. So now, God had to once again teach and reveal to humanity what holiness is all about. He began with a small group of people. It's the nation of Israel. This is what uh, he said in Exodus. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, You'll be two things. First, you'll be a holy nation. Very simple. It simply means a nation that reflects His goodness, that is like Him, follow His values, that will be so different from every other nation. And He also says they will be a kingdom of priests. A priest is really like a bridge between man and God, okay? So this kingdom here, they were supposed to be bridges that draw other nations to God. That's their role. And to do that, God had to teach them or give them a framework how to live. 
So he put down a few laws. I'm going to choose one theme to kind of expand on. There's really so many. And you're going to hear me talk a lot about water today, okay? Every time I say water, you need to drink water. Okay, can you do that? So in Leviticus here, uh, God is telling the priestly tribe, okay, Aaron, and he's saying, do not come at any time to the holy place so that you will not die. If you just anyhow come, you're going to die, okay? And he's telling them, but to come, you have to do a few things. That's offering, you put on the holy garments and bathe your body in water, then you can come into my presence. Now, I don't want you to think that, wow, why God so particular one, huh? Why you want to kill them? It's not about that. God was trying to help humanity see the pure and the impure, they don't go together. The holy and unholy, they don't go together. So if God is absolute goodness, He's going to be dangerous to things that are not good. And He wanted them to understand this concept and He wanted them to know to come into my holy presence, you got to make yourself holy. Okay, it's not that the practices had any superpower. It's not. It was God helping humanity understand about holiness. Now, we know that God and Israel had this relationship, uh, really complicated. Uh, there were times they obeyed God, they flourished, but most of the time, it was on a downward spiral of disobedience. Same problem. They chose to do what was good in their own eyes. In the year 586 BC, uh, they lost their whole land and they were exiled to Babylon. Now, why is this significant? In one way, now they can no longer do this. There's no temple, no more tabernacle. They couldn't go. So in their mind, they're thinking, how then can we come into his presence? We can't. In that exile... The prophet Ezekiel had this vision. It's super interesting to me. And he's having this vision of a temple and water coming out of the temple. So you see that parallel. Before that, I clean myself with water and I go into the temple. Now, purifying waters are coming out of the temple. It's the opposite. So much water, it becomes a river. And this river is a river of life. Everywhere the river goes, trees come about, and the water flows into the sea. This is the Dead Sea. No creatures can live there. But with this purifying water, even the Dead Sea starts brimming with habitation and creatures and fish. So it's a river of life that's bringing life wherever it flows. That's the vision that the prophet Ezekiel gets. Now, what does this mean? We don't know until we see Jesus. Can you see the connection? The river of life brings life wherever it goes. Jesus brought life wherever he went. Sick came to him, he healed them. Blind person gave him sight. Even dead people, like the Dead Sea, he brought them alive. So we see this Jesus fulfilling this vision. And in John 7, he explicitly mentions 
and he announces that he is the fulfillment. This is the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. In the Feast of the Tabernacles, it lasts for seven days. Every day, they would take a golden pitcher, they would fetch water from the pool of Siloam, and they would pour it on the altar. It was them remembering that God once quenched the thirst of the ancestors in the wilderness, right? So this is the eighth day, uh, the ritual stop, and Jesus stood up, super dramatic. He cried out, the rituals have stopped, but now if anyone thirsts, you can come to drink from me. Okay, so for the past three weeks, that's really kind of where we landed at. Uh, we spoke about God, this holy God, like no other. We spoke about how holiness was lost. And then it was revealed through the laws and restored through the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, so today I'm going to develop that further, really on with all this information, how does it affect our life today? And what's the end of this story of holiness? Okay, so just let me just pray. Uh, Father, as we come today, you just open our hearts. Help us to see that it's more than just interesting information. It's more than just knowledge, but we want to exude your holiness and goodness through our life. So Lord, prepare us for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now I'm going to continue from the same passage. Verse 37, Jesus stood up, announced that he's now the living water. Verse 38, very interesting. He says, those who believed in me, those that who have came to drink from me, now out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we see this picture that it's not just an inflow, but there's also an outflow. Now, it's not entirely an outflow, right? It didn't say now we are all sources of water and we keep giving water. No, it didn't say that. It's also not entirely an inflow. He didn't say, oh, now you be like these tanks that keep, keep and store water more and more. It's not that. We are like these vessels that once we take in water, water also flows out through us. So if we go back to the image of the river in Ezekiel, we're not just spectators. We are not just receivers. We are participants in this vision. Okay, so holiness lived out is not this private behavior, but it's gonna have impact on the world around us wherever we go. That's what it's supposed to mean. How are we gonna live that out? One of the best ways to see is from the first people who took this to heart is the early church. When you look at the early church, they were ambassadors of good in their world. Their world was marked with division, racial division, social division, gender division, and the church was the first one to say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We are going to be an inclusive community. We're going to welcome and accept everyone. When diawal was marred with retaliation, you do this to me, I'll do this to you, an eye for an eye. That's why there's so many wars, all these empires. The church was the first one to say, whatever you do to me, persecute me, criticize me, rebuke me. 
they responded with forgiveness and love. And serving self is a big one because that's in our culture too today, right? Serving self was in every part of their culture. Sexually, not only as it was acceptable, it was unavoidable for men to really sleep with anyone lower on the social class. So women, slaves, kids, prostitutes, it's unavoidable. And the church said, no, 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 we're going to stay pure. We talk about abortion today, and wow, so cruel. At that time, no abortion. If I have a baby, I don't want very simple. I just put him on the road. And the church was the one who go to these babies, take them in and nurse them to health. And when they have all these plagues and sickness and famine, it's the church at the cost of their life who stayed back and fed the people. Do you see how they become this river that's bringing life wherever they go in every capacity? I like how Paul puts it in Titus 2, and he's explaining why they were able to do that. It's not because the church was such a professionally-led organization. It's not that they had this charismatic leader who inspired and inspired. It's not that they had this scheme to recruit. It's not. It's simply because when they were purified by Jesus, they became this brand of people who were zealous for good works. Zealous just means passionate, totally passionate about it. See, passion is a big word in our world today, right? We go around asking, what's your passion? And we receive all kinds of answers. It's coffee, it's watches, it's success, it's knowledge, and all those things. Have we ever heard someone say, my passion is for good? Not me. Food, yes, food, all of us. But goodness, very rarely, right? And I want us to take this time to reflect what is really in our heart. Are we zealous for good? Are we passionate for good? Are we eager to do good deeds? Are we totally committed to do good deeds? And as you're reflecting, I just want to tell a story. This is Bishop Peter's story. He's the former president of the South African Council of Churches. This is a guy who ministered to Nelson Mandela in prison, okay? Uh, so Peter's story was ministering in a time uh, where the South African government was operating under the apartheid regime. Apartheid simply is a extreme racial segregation and division. So it's not like those minor privileges that we see today. It was total division. So whites and non-whites, they don't live together, they don't study together, they don't eat together. If you are a non-white living in a white district, you will be evicted from your house and relocated to a less desirable land. So that's the regime they were kind of under. Peter's story, he's a white guy. He's on the receiving end of these benefits, okay? He could have easily said, that is good for me. But he knew it wasn't good in the eyes of God. And he said, let me be a voice for the rest of them. 
he was invited to lead a church, and he laid down two conditions. Number one, my church has to have a voice in the world. We don't want to be just singing songs in our room. We don't want that. We want to be out there creating an impact. Number two, he wanted an inclusive church. Regardless of the regime, my church will be a multi-ethnic, multicultural church that welcomes everyone. And to him, churches should be exporting transformative thoughts into the world instead of just receiving thoughts from society. And he says, that's the richest gift we can give to the world. So he pitched this to the leadership. They said, okay, great, do it. First day, he's doing communion. A white guy stood up, threw the communion on the floor, and 200 white people walked out of the room. So we are doing communion later. Please don't do that, okay? Peter's story said, it's okay. Let me continue my journey. He was imprisoned five times. He said, let me continue. His office was bombed. He said, let me continue. He was accused to be in bed publicly with the communists. He said, let me continue. But there was one incident that really gripped my heart. It's an episode between him and his youngest son, Alan. Towards the end of the apartheid regime, the government was struggling to maintain control. There's all these resistance groups, there's violence, retaliation. So the government recruited all the young white males. Now we have to join the army to defend the government. Alan was at that age, and he was recruited to join the army. Alan was a guy also in ministry, and he thought to himself, no, I do not want to be part of violence. I do not want to fight on behalf of something that I don't agree with. The punishment for refusing this call up is six years in jail. So... Alan discussed with the parents, and Peter's story helped his son send him to be arrested for six years in prison. And it's so gripping for me because I just got married one, two years. It's one thing for me to suffer. It's another thing to send my wife to prison. And you all have kids. Are you willing to send someone you love to suffer because of good? And it's re totally reframed my reflection on this question. Are we passionate for good, even if it is culturally rejected? Even if it costs you and your loved ones? Even if it is difficult and uncomfortable? Even if you are the only one on this lonely path? Heavy question, I cannot answer it. But most of you probably are like me. We intuitively, we innately, we want to do some form of good. The only difference is we have some caveats. I am passionate for good if I can maintain my lifestyle. I am passionate for good if it doesn't cost me too much. I am passionate for good if it is aligned with what I want to do in life. See, don't get me wrong, that's a great first step. But I want to ask us today, is that a step that we are comfortable to stop there? Or are we going to be the kind of church that encourages one another, that rallies one another, that brings each other to the cross to, to drink from Jesus, 
that our hearts are transformed so that we love good more and more. Let's be that kind of a church. Amen? Peter's story was asked this question, how do you do it? How do you stand firm in the face of overwhelming oppression? And Peter's answer was very simple. He said, because I know the end of the story. My wife, who hasn't watched sports her whole life, started watching basketball with me. We support a team who's not doing very well. Usually, we watch live games and we are so anxious, especially her, right? Never watched sports before. Asking questions, worrying, sweating. And there are times when our team wins and we watch a replay. And she says, a replay is much better, very different. I'm calm, I don't need to worry. Because she knows the end of the story. How many of us today, we believe in the end of the story. We're going to take communion today. Communion as much as it is remembering the work of Jesus in the past, it is also remembering that it has empowered and enabled a hopeful future. And today I want to read from a passage to remind us of that future. Revelation 22, the angel showed John again, the river of the water of life is back. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. See this, either side of the river, life is the tree of life. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. No more hurt, no more tears, no more pain, no more death but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His, na His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamb or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Can we all stand? As we take the bread today, Let us be reminded of this vision that one day, wow, we will get to dwell with this holy God once again in a world that is like no other. No more pain, no more death, no more sin, no more hurt, no more tears. As we take the bread, let's imagine that vision. As we take the cup, be reminded that we, our thirst has been quenched by our Lord Jesus. And when we are so fulfilled and satisfied in Him, regardless of circumstance, regardless of the cause, we can now be that river of life bringing good into the world around us. Let's take the cup. Father, we thank you 
that you have revealed what holiness is. It means being set apart in the way of absolute goodness. We thank you that we are participants in that vision and that you have chosen us and want to partner with us to reflect your goodness into our world today. Lord, you know it's not easy. You know it's tough. Following you is never easy. But we want to be a church that stands with each other, that encourages each other. And we want to come to your cross, transform our hearts to love good more and more. Lord, we take hold of that vision and we believe that it will impact our present today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.